Good morning, everybody. I'm so, I'm so thrilled to be with you. I've been missing from One Chapel Austin for a couple weeks. And uh, uh, two weeks ago, I was with Kyle and uh, at Kyle, One Chapel Kyle. And then last week, I was in Mexico with a destination wedding with my niece. If you can get any of your family to do destination weddings, I highly recommend them. Um, it was awesome. So uh, there's a really cool thing that's happening this weekend, uh, TAG, summer camp is happening, and, and that's where we're missing some of our people. But uh, I was there last night, and I uh, shared a message and, and, and just saw what was going on, and it's just so cool to see what Jesus is doing in young people. There's a, uh, over 150 students and leaders hanging out for summer camp, and I just think we ought to stop, let's pause and pray for them. There is nothing like a camp experience, nothing like a, a, a getting away from everything normal and, and having God visit you. It'll be a memory in their lives for the rest of their lives. So let's, let's pause and pray for all these teenagers that are having this experience. Father, we thank you so much for how you're visiting our students. Father, we want to be a generational church, a multi-generational church that is believing in the next generation and provides a place at the table. Lord, we pray that your presence and power would be so huge, so big, it would be undeniable. Break through the, the surface level uh, of thinking and and processes that teenagers are going through and go to the heart of the matter in their soul, in their life. Lord, would you heal uh, every person that needs your touch? Would you strengthen them for your service and for your purpose? Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We agree. We here as adults and people that are, are here this morning, we agree with what you want to do in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're launching a new series called I Will Survive. I Will Survive. The subtitle is How to Live Through a Bad Day. If you want message notes, the ushers have them, and uh, they would be happy to give them to you if you just raise your hand a little bit. And so, um, so I really, this is, this is a big subject that we're going to tackle here over the next few weeks, because I think there's so many people who understand what a bad day is, but very few people understand how to get through it in a way that is uh, honorable and biblical. And uh, I think it's especially meaningful for Christians. I think it's especially meaningful for Jesus followers who are trying to figure out how to navigate bad things in this world. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But let me start with this. Have you ever woken up on a Monday and just felt bad? Some of you are like, every Monday. Um, your inbox is flooded with emails. The weekend went way too fast, right? And you, you're, you're going to have to work overtime this week. You just know it's coming, and, and your account is at zero. You ever had a Monday like that where it just feels so bad? That's when you think to yourself, I just want to quit. I just want to give up. You feel like you're down for the count, and you're, you're not sure you can actually get up off the mat. Do you ever feel like that? But then suddenly as you realize things are bad, you say to yourself, wait a minute, I'm not going to give up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this day something good. 
I'm not gonna let this day ruin my week. I'm not gonna let this day define me. And then you get in your car. You're driving to work. But then you hear it, that knocking sound. Gears grinding, smoke starts coming out. You're gonna need a tow truck. And then you realize it doesn't matter. We have Uber. I could just call an Uber and I can get a really nice older lady with some mints in her backseat to come pick me up. <laughs> and then, even better, you could call a One Chapel friend and ask them to come and pick you up because you are a survivor. You are going to survive this week. This is not going to be a week where you give up. You're going to fight. You're going to overcome. You're going to do what you do. You're going to make a comeback. But don't call it a comeback. It's not loud enough, Landon. Can you move this a little more? You're going to knock this day out. But then your husband calls. And your kids are sick and the checks bounced and it feels like too much. You, you, you know you can survive. You know it won't always be like this, but you think to yourself, okay, this is my life. I was made for more. I, I'm not going to whine. I'm not going to complain. I know Jesus. So you pull yourself up and you say, I don't care if the odds are stacked against me. I don't care if they say I can't do it. I don't care if they don't think I'm capable. I'm a fighter. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this day work for me. I'm going to train. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to survive. And I will live through this bad day. I was wondering how you were going to respond to that. The first service was way more into it. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So I, just wanted you to, I just wanted you to prove that you could do it. <laughs> this is kind of a funny intro to, to like think about the subject. But I, I want to highlight for you that sometimes we read scriptures like this and we have Rocky music playing in the background, you know, in our minds. We're trying to read scriptures and trying to pump ourselves up. And I, I think there's something deeper that we must have. If you start with Romans 8, Romans 8, 35 through 37, you can, you can see what I'm talking about because this is an incredible passage. Romans 8 is all amazing but it says this, it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? It's a good question. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? That's a pretty profound question. As the scriptures say, he's quoting the Old Testament, he says, for, we, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And sometimes we, 
We try to pump ourselves up with things like this when in reality we got to go deeper. We got to believe this is an awesome verse and it can be so life changing. Something is happening to my computer. Hang on. Okay, I'm good. Turn to your neighbor and say, He's good. So I can survive. Um, so so this, this verse kind of highlights this underlying thing of Christ has victory, and so we can enter into that victory. But here's what I know for a fact, that some days, some bad days last longer than 24 hours. And there's a, there's a process sometimes that we go to that lasts a while. Here's a snippet of one chapel pastors having conversations over the last few weeks. This is just, these are real conversations that people have had with pastors. And see if you recognize any of this for yourself. I am overwhelmed. Work is hectic, there's drama. It, it seems like everywhere in my relationships and my kids, the bills are, are overdue. I just feel like these burdens are too heavy to carry. This isn't what I signed up for. My marriage, my job, my career, my kids, all this stuff I wanted is horrible. And now I feel trapped. I don't know what to do. I've hit rock bottom. I've made some really bad choices or some quick, easy ones. And I don't know what the right next move is. I was fired. I lost my job and no one seems to want to hire me. Is something, is something wrong with me? Someone really hurt me. I don't understand how this could have happened. How, how could he or she do this to me? I was blindsided. I just got the diagnosis. They said it was cancer. We've all had bad days. And we all know someone who's having a bad day. Listen, we've, there's some statistics out here that are so interesting right now. It's recently been reported in a new study from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control Prevention that suicides are up sharply since 1999. Suicide rates rose in all but one state and are up at least 30% in over half of the states in the US. Check this out, nearly 45,000 suicides occurred in the US in 2016. More than twice the number of homicides making it the 10th leading cause of death. This is really heartbreaking here. Among people ages 15 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. public figures and celebrities who have suffered death at their own hands have placed this concept, this idea, this suicide, I can't, I can't take it anymore. It's placed it in our public consciousness. And I think it's so important for us not to minimize the seriousness of a bad day or the seriousness of things that go on in our lives that are such a struggle and such a challenge 
These are real issues that we're facing in our culture. Every one of you knows somebody who's walking through some of these things if you're not going through it yourself. And I think it's at these moments where we have to know what we believe about God and why we're going through this. Even though Romans 8 says we have victory through Christ, it, it also acknowledges some really faulty ways of thinking about God. Paul, he identifies these faulty ways. Look at it again. In verse 35, it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I find that there are questions, big questions that people have when they're going through something really bad. And the most common question that I find as a pastor is this idea of why is there such pain and evil in the world? Some version of that. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is this bad thing happening to me? Or why do good things happen to bad people? Because we need to stop that. so much suffering in the world. I'm no stranger to it. I've said it to you many times. Um, I don't want to burst your bubble, but pastors are people too. And there are difficult days for me and my family. It was about 22 months ago that Amy and I, my wife Amy, we were getting ready to come to church on a Sunday morning and she had a stroke. I was getting ready to launch a brand new series at church called about faith. <laughs> and and I, I remember, you know, she had woken up early because her body didn't feel right. And she had gone in to take a shower and get ready. And, and I, 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 had, I was up and kind of getting ready for the day and preparing my mind. And then I, then I, got in the shower, and, and she's getting ready, just to paint the picture for you, she's getting ready in, in our bathroom, and I, I remember it's vividly sort of painted in my brain, uh, because she's, she, she says to me, out of the blue, I don't, I don't hear anything, but, but she, then she says to me in, in a voice that I recognized instantly, something is wrong. She said, Ross, something is wrong. She kind of said it like that, and I, it was like, oh, that's not normal. Something's wrong. What? What is it? What? What? And I, so I yelled it out of the shower, and she wouldn't answer me. She didn't answer me. I said, what? Amy, what? And I yelled it again. What is wrong? And then she wouldn't answer me. And so I, you know, <laughs> I opened the door of the shower, <laughs> peek out here, it's like, um, what, and I see her, and she's there, and she has her hand over her mouth, she's crying, and she won't answer me, and I knew, I didn't know if she'd cut herself, I didn't know if she'd read a text that was upsetting, or somebody died, or I didn't know what it was, and, and so she, she couldn't, I, so, I, so I, I went to her, and I, I, I said, what is wrong, and she said, she kind of looked at me and said, can't talk and it I mean you know it's like that moment when you're like oh my gosh this is the real thing this is a moment something bad's happening 
And so the first thing I did is I just laid my hands on her and prayed for her. I just put, I remember it vividly. I just put my hands on her shoulders and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever's going on here, I pray that you'd heal her, touch her, deliver her, strengthen her body, do what only you can do. And then I realized I didn't have a towel on or anything. We got dressed. We, 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 we jumped in the car. We went to the ER. I called my father-in-law, who's an ER doc on the way, and he said, go straight to the ER and get there as soon as you can. And we did, and, and two ambulance rides and three hospitals later, somewhere around 5 o'clock in the afternoon, she started functioning pretty normally. Uh, the symptoms had subsided earlier, but, but whenever you have a stroke, and they did, they did see a stroke that happened from the scans and, and they, the doctor told us, they said, yeah, this, there was an event there for sure, but somehow it stopped really quickly for some reason. So I, 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 I think we just agreed in prayer and we prayed and, and it was the end, end of that thing. But something happens in your mind as a spouse when your spouse goes through something where they could die. And uh, I, went, I, I went to bed probably for about a year thinking, you know, just it would pass through my mind. I wonder if she's going to die. You know, it's a very morbid thought, you know, but you lay down on your, uh, on your bed and, and lay down on your pillow and you just think about the mortality of your, this life partner that God gave you. And if I'm being really honest, I would tell you that it affected me. In a way, how could it not? But, but it affected my outlook. It affected the way I saw the church. It affected the way I went to work. It affected the way I handled the family. It, it, it was like a, I was thinking about this, and it's like a, you have your computer, and then you have apps or, or things that are open on your computer, and they're just constantly running. I'm always like looking at my wife's phone, and she's like, she opens everything and never closes anything. I'm like, babe, this, 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 is, gonna, it, this is what sucks all your battery power. And I felt like my life was sort of being sucked by battery, the, my battery power of life was, was not working as well as it should because this was running in the background. Truth be told, I'm just, we're just now kind of getting to the place, you know, at the end of this second year where it just feels like we're not, you know, we're not, we don't feel like there's a danger. We're, the, the statistics say that you're typically in danger of having another episode within two years. And uh, we're two months away from that, and in Jesus' name, we will not have one. And so, the, all kinds of reasons, she's had all kinds of tests over the last few years. I just, I just tell you this to say that I know that bad days can last a while. And you have to walk through something that's so challenging, and, and, and you, it, it challenges your faith. It challenges what you believe. And so, I wanted to talk about this for a few minutes this morning, if you'll let me. And I want to highlight how I think the scriptures teach us to, to look at this contextually because we're going to go through several weeks of talking about bad days and hard things that we have to manage over the next few weeks. I know, great fun summer series, right? Um, no, I think, I think these are meaningful. I think this is important is for us to have the convictions that the scripture teaches us. And so 
I think there are four forces at work in the world. Four forces at work according to the scriptures, if, we, if you want to follow along with me in your message notes. Four forces at work in the world. Number one, God's will. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 is the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you will notice, ev- uh, there's a whole bunch of bad days addressed in this prayer. It's really interesting. We'll unpack that later. But I want to draw your attention to this idea, God's will being done in the world. Jesus said, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom come Your will be done, where? On earth as it is in, which means his will's not done on earth? Shocking to some of you. Wait a minute. That messes with my theology. I think Jesus is is telling his people, you and me, his disciples, to pray that we're collaborators with him in bringing the kingdom of God from heaven where his will is done perfectly. Where there is no sickness and no disease, where there's no crying, there's no illnesses, no doctors in heaven. Look, there probably are doctors, but they're not practicing. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure there are, there's probably a few lawyers, but nobody's suing each other. Nobody's suing each other in heaven. There's no, nothing, none of that stuff's happening in heaven. So you think about it, it's really important you understand it. God's will isn't always done on earth. I can tell you this, there's a, and God, it's it's so interesting because people kind of mess with this a little bit. There's plenty of evil in the world. God doesn't have to do bad things or cause bad things to happen to you. There are plenty, there's plenty of material already available to him. He is a God of goodness and kindness and love. He is a judge. He demands justice, and there will be justice one day. But until Jesus returns, according to the scriptures, people don't always get justice here and now. And so that makes us We don't think about this. And and people talk all kinds of crazy things about these ideas. You know, somebody gets in a car wreck and, you know, somebody says something like, oh, I guess God just needed him up there. No, God doesn't need him up there. His will's done perfectly. There's something else going on. Jesus said, pray that God's will would be done. You Be the people of prayer who bring the kingdom of God in the way you function, in the way you act, and the way you treat others, and what you believe. You you bring the kingdom. Little tastes of the kingdom. His kingdom will be established one day. There will be a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus returns. He will make all things new. He will put all things to rights. But until that time, we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Number two, Satan's will. Satan's will is a force in the earth. Luke 4, 5 through 8, this is Jesus 
going through the temptations, he says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. What? The devil says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. They've been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. There was a moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve resisted the way of God. You can eat from any tree in the garden, eat from the tree of life as much as you want, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of listening to that advice, they chose to take life on their own terms for themselves, take life into their own hands with their own knowledge of good and evil. It's one of the first stories in the Bible on purpose because I think it gives us a choice of how we are to live. We live with the life that Jesus offers us or we live trying to be experts of good and evil. One kills you, one gives you life. Think about that later this afternoon. But Satan's will, it says, he says to Jesus, I can give it anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord God, your God, and serve him only. I think it's so interesting because I think what the devil's doing here is he's giving a shortcut to Jesus. I think Jesus knew that he was going to get the kingdoms of the world, but the devil was offering him a shortcut. And that's exactly what he offers you all the time. This is a bad day. Go ahead and medicate yourself. This is a bad day. Oh, just forget about that person. Doesn't matter. Just, just move on. That person hurt you. You should get back at them. See, he always dangles a little shortcut. And Satan's will is active. There's a spiritual warfare component here. He is a thief, the Bible says. Jesus said it himself. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. He said, I have come that you will have life and life to the full. There is such a thing as evil. There's an elaborate spiritual hierarchy of intimidation, fear, and coercion and, and, uh, that exists to take you down. This is what Jesus experienced right here when, when the devil was tempting him in the wilderness. Number three is human will. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You can follow your own desires and your own thoughts. You have a will, and your human will is the second most powerful force in the universe, I believe. I think according to the scriptures, what we see is God's will has a pa fundamental power, all his own, his sovereignty, the way he works through even bad days and changes them for your good talk about that in a minute, but human will is underestimated so often, but Adam and Eve had a powerful will to reject God and then to be thrown out of the garden. Jesus had a will that he needed to surrender to God, which is why it was a real temptation with Satan. 
It wasn't a fake temptation. Oh, he was Jesus. The devil was never going to get him. That's not true. Jesus was fully human and fully God, and he was what the Bible calls a firstborn among many brothers, and he surrendered his will to his Father, which is what you and I must do with our human will, and it is hard. It should be easy because it's like, oh, I give up. Okay, you can have it all, but somehow that's really hard on us. <laughs> we don't do that very easily, but human will is powerful. If you think about it, I just want you to think about this for a second. Human will, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve refuse God's way, then Cain kills Abel, then some unsavory characters start showing up in Genesis 4 and 5, and by Genesis 6, there is this little phrase within the chapter 6 where God says, I'm sorry. He says, God was sorry that he ever made man because every thought of every person was only evil all the time. That's a biblical, that's in the Bible. You can check it out, Genesis 6. Humans have an incredible capacity for evil. You don't need me to convince you of that. But we also can do things that are powerfully used by God to establish his kingdom. You can, you can use your will to help heal people, to help people see who God really is. You can overcome things that come against you by your will. And here's the thing. God stacks the deck in your favor if you follow him. He gives you his spirit, puts that inside of you, gives you strength to do it. He gives you his word, which explains so many stories of how he works within humanity. He's given you his name, his authority. You're in the family He's given you his love and his strength, his power in your own weakness even, according to the way the scriptures read. Like he set it up for you. But it's hard, isn't it? Because it has to do with your will. How will you surrender it to him? And especially in a bad day. Number four, natural law. Natural law, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 16 through 18 says, therefore we do not lose heart. <laughs> Why does he say that? He's just gone through a long list in this chapter of how bad it is, how hard it is. He says, but we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. This body is wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Our light and momentary troubles. And if you read about the Apostle Paul, you'll see how bad his life was. He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. In other words, there's perspective here. These are light and momentary troubles in comparison to the glory that God wants for us. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's what I want to tell you. There's a, there's a seen world. All of, these, all of these fixtures you see around you, all, your, your skin, your body, everything is going through a process of wearing out. These chairs are wearing out. Everything in your house is essentially a garbage disposal processing center. <laughs> all toys that you buy your children, they are going to be trash one day. 
All the clothes that you buy, they will go to Goodwill. The furniture, the couches, once you move it to the garage, it's over. Everything is, is in a state of decay, and there is a natural law here that is at work. Gravity is one of the natural laws. God put it in place. You jump off a big building, you're going to die. Your body's going to break apart. You go 90 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone without your seatbelt on, you hit something, your, your body's going to get mangled. Everything is temporary that we're experiencing here, but there's something unseen as well, right? That's what Paul's highlighting. But I want you to understand that people blame things on all four of these. Oh, that was just God's will. Oh, that was just the devil's will. Oh, that, that, you know, the devil's getting me down. <laughs> I think so many people think they're going through a bad day and it's the devil's fault, right? And in a way, it kind of is like he's a, a, the original you know, purveyor of lies and, and darkness. Okay, great. Sure, you can make that attachment. But often it's just because you work with a bozo at work. You know, you're just like, you're just, you're just like stupid people. Don't you get irritated at stupid people? Then you should get irritated at yourself. <laughs> because at some point, at some point, you will be that person to your spouse, to your coworker, to your kids. I mean, it's just part of the landscape. Natural law is in effect. And here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't just go to the natural things. It, it, and sometimes we blame these things on God. Sometimes it's human will. A guy who doesn't put his seatbelt on but goes fast, that's his will. That's not God taking him. Devil wants to destroy him for sure. That's true. And that's, and that's why so many things that we're wrestling with in our world, we've got to have a firm conviction about why we do these things and, and why it's important to teach our children to buckle up and respect the laws and be aware of other people, right? Like, why do we do this? There's something that we're respecting. It's a natural law of the universe. And it's not just about the, these cars and buildings. It's about sowing seeds. It's about how you treat other people. I, it's the law of sowing and reaping is in effect in our world. And that's why your grass grows even though you didn't do anything for it this spring. Of course, it's dying now if you're not watering it. But there's also a bunch of weeds. Like you can put all the poison you want on those weeds and in another year they'll be back. It's crazy, there's something in the soil, but it's also something in your life. People call it karma. I think it's God's natural law. The way you treat people comes back to you. See, you've you got to go deeper into this thing than you have because when a bad day strikes, you will be tempted to blame it on all kinds of things. And sometimes it's hard to figure out who's who in the middle of that, in the fog of war, in the craziness of life when something bad has happened. It's hard to pin it on one particular thing. And you have to realize that it's okay. You don't have to pin it on something. But you can understand we live in a broken world. We can understand that the devil wants to destroy. You can understand that your own human will is a factor. You can understand that natural law is part of this. There's bacteria. There are viruses everywhere. And sometimes it just happens. God 
is working in the middle of all that. You say, okay, I get it. You might say there's a lot of stuff going to happen in the world, and I get hit with some of it. Okay, but why did God choose this way? This seems like such a crazy way to do it. Why didn't he, why didn't he just fix it all and stop evil and darkness from taking over? To which I would answer, yes, he did. Just not in the way that you like <laughs> or a way that you prefer. He chose to do it in a way that took more time than you want it to. He chose to do it in a way that tells a big story throughout humanity. And there's a reason for that. Uh, I believe that he wants us not to be robots or zombies. He wants us he wants to have a relationship with us. And here's how, it's, here's how it looks if you look at the big story of God through the scriptures. Creation starts, perfect world, perfect context for relationship and rulership. Adam and Eve have great, a great living space, and they have a great job. They have the American dream. But then something happens in the fall. There's a fall. They fall from their place by disobedience, and it unleashes separation and death and destruction as they reject God's way. Number three, redemption, though, begins to be in the heart and mind of God as he is gonna go through a process over many years, and you see it recorded through the Old Testament, prophets saying there's, there's something coming. You're my people. I want you to choose me, and I wanna have a relationship with you, and, and a Messiah is going to come who's gonna change the game totally. This is redemption, God's story of reconciliation and love through Jesus Christ. And then number four, there is a restoration, the culmination of the kingdom of God, mercy and justice for all time will come into this world when Christ returns and makes all things new. If you understand this framework, then you can start to put yourself in the middle of it. But often we simply believe the wrong things about God, we believe the wrong things about ourselves, and we believe the wrong things about our world. And the, the lies most of us have wrestled with at some point sound something like this. I don't understand why things are so bad right now. I'm not perfect, but I've done all the things right that I know to do. You're frustrated. Or you might be ready to quit thinking to yourself, God's just, God's mad at me right now because I have chosen so poorly and I, I think that's why he's not around. He's, he, he's rejected me. That's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. Or you might believe that it's too late for you. You've, you've spent all the grace that you have, that you, de you deserve the terrible things that are happening to you right now. God doesn't want that for you. He's poised, ready to interact with you even in the midst of your great failures. You're likely an, you likely and unknowingly have a fundamental paradigm that God is not really interested in you. That he's interested in what's going on in the world, but not really interested in what's going on specifically in your life. So I, I think in order to get through a bad day, you have to believe, but you have to believe rightly. Here's three things, ready? Here we go, very quickly. Believe God is reconciling the world. Believe God is reconciling the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled 
us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The rest of us just the rest of the verse just kind of repeats this whole idea that you are called to be a person who reconciles. Now, what is God reconciling? What is he reconciling? Number one, he's reconciling to himself. He's reconciling the world to himself. There's a lot going on here. There's a process where he's pulling the world to himself, and he wants them to come to him, and he's making his case, and he's making his plea, and the Holy Spirit is working in the world and calling people to himself. He's also reconciling us to each other. He's also reconciling us to each other. He wants people to get along with each other. He wants them to treat them with value and dignity and love. That's the miracle of one chapel, by the way. John 17 is our namesake. Father, make them one like you are one. Like we are one, he said. He prayed, Jesus prayed this prayer over us. And listen, if we can be people from all kinds of different perspectives economic backgrounds, social backgrounds, demographic groups, and we come together under the banner of Jesus, there is something profound about that that Austin needs to see. He's also reconciling us to holiness. In other words, reconciling us to his way, which is best for us. There's just some lines for you to fill that out if you want to. I didn't put that in there. My wife was kind of messing with me between services. <laughs> she was like, there's no fill in the blanks there for those. You just have to write them yourself. <laughs> it's called taking notes, I don't know. <laughs> Here's one thing I want you to write down. Reconcile means, reconcile means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. Do you know what happens when you reconcile your bank statement with the, what the bank says, with your pocketbook, your checkbook. So you have your checkbook, you have the bank statement, you, and you reconcile them. Does anyone do this anymore? Four of you. You reconcile, you, you, you chase down every single uh, expenditure and every single uh, in, um, um, deposit, and you, <laughs> obviously, a deposit, and then you bring them down, and if your bank book says the same number as the bank, you're like, you say the same thing. People are reconciled to each other when they say the same thing. No, you did that. No, I did not. Yes, you did. Well, I didn't mean to. Well, you did. Okay, I did. That's called reconciling. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. You say the same thing and you reconcile. Here's what God is trying to do when he's reconciling the world, when he's reconciling us. He's trying to help us understand that he wants us to say what he says. He wants us to say the same thing he says about himself. He wants us to say the same thing that he says about the other people in our life, that they have value and that these relationships are important. He, want, he wants us to say what he says about a rich and satisfying life and the way it is lived. So when you're going through a bad day, you've got to remember what Jesus says. You've got to agree with God in his work. You've got to realize that there's reconciling going on, and sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's challenging. We've got to collaborate with God in reconciling relationships. We rely on Jesus to help us in our struggle against sin, we know that he's reconciling something. And it can last for a long time and you're struggling with something in your life. God's not intimidated by that process. Are you guys still listening to me? Yeah. Sorry, 
let's move on. Here's the point I want you to get. I have two more points, but I, if you don't hear anything else in this message, here's what I want you to get. The cost of relationship with God is the chaos of our messed up world. He didn't want to create robots. He wanted collaborators, co-creators. He wanted people who would be partners. The Bible calls us co-workers with God. The Bible calls us co-heirs with Christ. He wanted a relationship with people. And the only way he could do that is to risk all the chaos, the evil and torment and the craziness of our messed up world. Why did God do it this way? Here's your answer. He wanted to relate to you personally. God's not some big, vague entity in the sky trying to work, wield his way. He is a personal being. He has relational qualities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in relationship with each other, and we've been invited into that relationship. That is what's going on in our world, and the cost of it was the risk. The cost of it was the messed up world, which he knew one day he could make right by the work of Christ, by destroying death, resurrection power, and establish, reestablishing and restoring the earth to the way it was originally designed. Yes, judgment. Yes, people being called to account. Yes, it's all there. And so that's the process that we're in. We're working through. If you believe there's a judgment at the end of all days, you live differently. If you believe that there's a judge who's going to dispense perfect justice at some time in the future, you don't have to take revenge. If it's just you and you got to get your pound of flesh, well, then have at it. All the statistics say, all the sociologists say, all the psychologists say, it's bad for you. Feels good at the time, then poisons your soul. God is the only one who has the strength to be the judge. Number two, Jesus joins you in your suffering. Hebrews 2 says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Jesus came to this earth so that he could identify with us and so that you would know he understands. He understands everything you're going through right now. He gets it. He's been violated. He's been abused. He was disregarded. He was cheated on. He was betrayed. He knows it. He understands it. And he, and he came and joined our broken world on purpose to show you that he's with you. He's with you. And when you go through something challenging, I, I, I just want to encourage you to put your faith not in an outcome but in a person. Jesus, put your faith in a, in a person, not in an outcome. You're going through a bad day. Oh, I just want this to change. I just want this to all reverse itself. I just want to get out of this. Put your faith in a person. Jesus joins you in your suffering. He knows what it's like, and he's with you in his strength, his grace, his power, his mercy, his truth, his help. And he wants you to join him as he joins you. 
as a co-worker and a co-laborer and a collaborator to bring the kingdom of God. Now, here's the miracle, and it's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This is a famous verse. Lots of people quote it. Lots, it's on a t-shirt. It's, it's a nice little saying. But I want to challenge you whether you believe it or not. Because what this verse means, if you believe this verse, if you believe what this verse says, we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This verse means that every suffering, every foolishness, every failure, every violation that anyone experiences in this broken world when it's placed in God's hands, when you take it and you say, God, this is yours, I can't, I can't handle this, I don't know what to do with it. I need you to carry this. And he takes it, and he puts it in his hands. He uses it for your good. Every suffering, every violation, every hurt, he can use it to create good for you and something that brings him glory. This is what makes him God, by the way. That it doesn't matter what kind of forces at work in the world, that he has a way in which he can work through it and accomplish his purpose even in the chaos, even in the messed up world. Number three, finally, you are living by faith. You have to believe. The problem for us comes with placing these challenges and wounds and sinfulness in Jesus' nail-scarred hands. It requires faith. It requires that we live by faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here's what I believe. You have to, when it says you must believe that he exists, another way of saying that would be he, you have to believe that he is who he says he is. <laughs> you have to believe he is who he says he is. And, and this is what faith is. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You can't casually or passively seek him and think you're going to win against the spiritual forces that are going to come against you or your own flesh or your own wicked heart that needs to be regenerated, restored, renewed. And that's what being born again is. That's what following Jesus is. He does something on the inside of you and it changes you. And the, the capacity you had for evil is begin to, begins to be changed. And he works through something. And this all happens by a step of faith. There is nothing that we do as a Christian that doesn't include faith. We're not living by sight, not by strength, not by our ability, not by our plans, not by our works. Did you know there's a little scripture in the Bible that says anything that is not of faith is sin? That means you can raise your kids with faith or you can do it on your own. You can work for your boss who you don't respect and believe that God sees it and will reward you for being faithful and being honorable even though that guy doesn't deserve it. See, that's, you can work by faith or you can just get all you can while you can. You can be married by faith, or you can fight with each other until you're so sick of it that you divorce. Getting quiet in this Methodist church. <laughs> faith is the only credit you get with God. 
the very same good works that you might do, feed a homeless person, care for a person in need, you can do it out of your own willingness and ability or you can do it because you believe you are called to something in this world. And there's a difference because lots of people want to do nice things. Lots of people in Austin, this is a charity city. Lots of people want to do nice things. There's nothing, and listen, when faced with a decision, nice things are better than bad things, <laughs> right? But, but, but just because you want to do something nice, there's no giant cosmic scoreboard where God's like keeping track no, he got rid of that to rescue people from death and darkness that they could never conquer themselves. That's called the gospel. That's called the good news. You don't have to earn salvation. You surrender to Jesus by faith, and then he works in you. I don't have time to do the rest of it. It'll be up on the website later this week. I know, okay, I'll just fill in the blanks for you. <laughs> Faith is believing that God is the source. God is the source of all life and real life. Number two, God desires relationship. This is fundamental for you to understand. If you think that God doesn't really want relationship with you, that you're just a cog in his giant wheel, your bad day is going to turn into a worse day. Because you're not going to think he's there for you and with you and helping you. But this is the thing we doubt, isn't it? When we, when we go through a bad day, we start to think, he's not here, he's not with me. God is the boss, number three. <laughs> oh, there's the bad one. God is the boss. We surrender to the author of life who knows us best and gives us his best. He is the boss. And if you don't settle that, everything else goes haywire. You can believe that God wants relationship and you can believe that God is the source, but then I just don't want to do what he wants me to do. Number four, God has roles and we have roles. We don't reverse the roles. And, and this list, right, in your message notes, God is the source, God is the creator, God is control of the world, God is the judge of life, God designs life and its rules. And then here's what happens when we believe these things. We depend on God. We're the creation and cannot exist on ourselves. We rely on him. We have control of ourselves. Ooh, there's an interesting idea. Did you know that the Bible teaches, that Galatians 5 teaches that self-control is the fruit of the spirit? God gave you the ability to control yourself. Not your friends, not your mother-in-law, not your daughter-in-law, not all the people around you. We try to control other people. God gave you the capacity to control yourself, and he actually wants you to work with his spirit to do that. It's the only way it really works. So it gets all messed up if you don't understand these roles and you try to reverse them. Last thing, you can read it uh, there on your message notes. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into your minds, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see him as an angry, vengeful person? You see him as a Santa Claus daddy figure? What do you see him as? What do you think of when you think about God? It's so important for you to believe rightly, to search the scriptures, to wrestle and to believe, because that's the only way you're going to make it through a bad day. It's really hard if you don't believe the right things. 
Emerson famously wrote, sow a thought and you reap an action, sow an act and you reap a habit, sow a habit and you reap a character, sow a character and you reap a destiny. I want you to think this week about what you think about God. I want you to think about how you view God. And I want you to search the scriptures. I want you to, uh, there's a book that I recommend all the time. It's called A Reason for God by Tim Keller. A Reason for God, if you want to write it down. And it's just this reasonable, reasonably argued book about how to think about God clearly. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head and we're going to come to the Lord's table right now and I want the band to come and, and we're just going to sp spend here the last few moments we have together and we're going, I want you to see this table as coming and experiencing provision from God. Bread and, and, and the cup. Bread represents his body. Cup represents his, his blood that is forgiveness of sins. I want, you to, I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about a place in your life that's out of balance or out of whack, something that you don't, you don't think correctly or accurately about God or even about yourself. You think inaccurately about who you are. You think inaccurately about the world around you. Let him point that out, and would you surrender to him? Would you, would you seek it out and wrestle that thing? Let him lead you through that that's what coming to this table is it's acknowledging that Jesus himself is God's plan and purpose and that he loves you and he wants you to know him Father we just come to this table right now would you speak to us and help us to relinquish control of all kinds of things and simply make a decision today to respond to you and to surrender to your life that you want for us. Lead us through this now as we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.